following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. As we commemorate Memorial Day this weekend... Uh, We pause to reflect the sacrifice that is given by so many for the freedoms that we have uh, enjoyed from day to day. Uh, Sometimes we tend to take those for granted, and uh, sometimes people take those freedoms uh, to the extreme. Um, Memorial Day weekend is a weekend that uh, initiates uh, summertime, basically for most. Uh, This weekend you'll see people... Uh, on the rivers, on the lakes, traveling up and down the roads with their boats. They take to the water, they take to the backyards, uh, fire up the grills, have picnics, uh, many other things they do uh, to take advantage of this three-day weekend that is observed by most. Uh, Memorial Day is tomorrow. There will be services uh, throughout the cities in our country uh, commemorating this event, but all throughout the weekend, I've already seen posts on Facebook of people who are out and about uh, enjoying uh, the three-day weekend, enjoying the start of summer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, some of these this uh, weekend that is commemorated as a celebration uh, to remember those who have fallen. For some people, it will turn into a tragedy. Uh, not only does Memorial Day uh, commemorate and start the the start of the uh, summer season, vacations and holidays uh, for many people. Uh, They tend to take this weekend as an opportunity to indulge in many other things. Alcohol is one of them. Uh, Many have reported that on Memorial Day weekend, it's only uh, second or third to the major holidays of the winter, Thanksgiving through Christmas, in which Alcohol sales will skyrocket. Uh, Some have reported that on this weekend alone, alcohol sales will top over $3 billion across the United States. While this sermon is not one that is on alcoholic consumption and whether or not we should consume alcohol, it does uh, reflect, for some people, an opportunity to say, well, this is in the Bible, so consuming alcohol is okay. Um, there's a lot to be said about that, and I will say that in another sermon. Uh, but let me just say, when, when you get into a discussion with most people about whether or not Christians should consume alcohol, uh, this is one that usually surfaces. There are two places that most people who defend uh, whether uh, we should consume alcohol or not, most of those who defend the consumption of alcohol will point to two different places in Scripture. What did Paul tell Timothy? He said, well, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Uh, That was during a specific time in history to a specific person. Um, The other place that they will point to uh, that defends the consumption of alcohol or that they attempt to defend the consumption of alcohol is here in John chapter 2. They said, well, it must be okay because Jesus turned the water into wine. Most of the times when you get into a discussion with someone, if you take the conservative approach, you know that there are more cases in the Bible that say that we should not consume alcohol and we should abstain from the consumption of alcohol than there are that will defend the consumption of alcohol. Those on the liberal side of the table 
Uh, they will point to these two and they will say, well, it's in the Bible. In these two places, they fail to look at the entire counsel of the Word of God on the topic. So this weekend, uh, many will indulge themselves. Some will drink too much. Some will end up in tragedies. Uh, they will get behind the wheel of an automobile. They will get behind the steering wheel of a boat. Uh, they will be involved in accidents that will claim innocent lives. Uh, I hope that none of you have ever experienced that before. I hope that none of you ever will. But I hope that uh, you will look at the whole counsel of God on what the Bible has to say about whether or not we should involve ourselves in the consumption of alcohol. Proverbs chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, if you want to write that verse down, I think is a good place to go. And it basically says that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and anyone who is deceived thereby is a fool. That is just one of many places that say that we should refrain from the consumption of alcoholic beverages. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, if you want to write that down. That describes the works of the flesh that Paul lists. He lists two different places where we have the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And drunkenness is one of the works of the flesh that Paul writes about that we should abstain from. Both the apostle Paul and John write in their letters a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And among those are drunkards. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and John writes in Revelations chapter 22, a list of specific people that will not enter into the kingdom of heaven and drunkards is among some of those. Jesus turned the water into wine. That is a fact. Uh, this happened during a wedding of, at Cana of Galilee, a memorial day that was about to turn into a disaster. For the people who were involved, for the people who were coordinating this event. Weddings back in those days would not just be a one-time event. They would not just be one day. They would not just be one night. But weddings back in the Jewish times would continue on for days and even weeks at a time. And in John chapter 2, we see such an incident taking place. It is a wedding that Jesus and his disciples and Jesus' mother Mary were all invited to. So most Scholars and commentators believe that this family that was involved in this wedding knew Jesus and his family or they were related in some way, shape, or form for them to be this involved in this event. And so anyone coordinating one of these events for any length of time, whether it's days or weeks, a wedding celebration like that, for them to run out of any of the provisions for the guests would be a total embarrassment. It would be a disgrace for any of them to run out of any type of food or drink during this time of celebration. It would disgrace that family and it would ruin the celebration. Now, alcohol back in the times of the Bible was not like we have today. It did not contain the same alcohol content. Most of the times... Wine was used as a disinfectant for the water. They did not have municipal water systems such as we have these days. They did not have clean or pure drinking water. So the ratio that they would use would most of the times be one part of wine 
to a minimum of three parts of water. Most of the time it was diluted way more than that, but that would be the minimum. Well, here we see a situation where uh, they have the water, they have the wine, uh, the celebration is going on, and all of a sudden somebody failed in their planning and their preparation, and they run out of wine. Well, Jesus reveals himself during this time, and according to the Gospel of John, this is the first of seven key signs in which Jesus would reveal himself. If you have your Bible this morning, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're studying the compassion of Christ. This is part 6 of our series. So why was Jesus compassionate? He intervened in a situation to save this family from an embarrassing event, from a total disaster. He was compassionate enough to say, I know that I can do something about this and I will do something about this for this celebration to continue on. So Jesus turning the water into wine does not condone alcoholic consumption. Just because Jesus turned the water into wine does not say that it is okay to consume alcohol. That is not what this passage is about. That is not what this event is about. That is not what this miracle is for. And anyone who says that, that this, this is what it is for, they have not done their study, the overall counsel of God on the topic of alcoholic beverages and whether or not Christians should consume them or not. And we'll see at the end of this passage exactly why Jesus performed this miracle. Beginning in verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Underline that verse right there. If I were to summarize what being a disciple actually means, this is one verse that I would point to. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a disciple of his, whatever he says to you, you should do it. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews. Containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece, Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. They filled them to the brim to leave room for nothing else. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tested the water that was made, of wine, uh, that was made wine, And did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to them, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Basically, when Jesus gets involved, the best is yet to come. The beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. 
And this, after this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they did not stay there very many days. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your glory and your presence here today. Your word clearly says that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So I believe, Lord God, that you've given me a word for today. I believe, Lord God, that you have given us this miracle and this sign to build our faith and to grow our faith and to make our faith into a deeper faith. And I pray, Lord God, as we unfold and unpack this passage here, that we'll dig into it and we'll learn from it what you want to speak to us. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me the words that you want this congregation to hear. And, Lord, you'll stop me from saying anything that we do not need to hear. But most of all, that through this passage and through this miracle, we'll see your compassion, and your glory as it was presented to the people in that day. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. The best is yet to come. Your situation right now might be going good. It could turn into a tragedy at any moment. But when you let the Lord get involved, when you do what He says, when you're obedient to His words and His commands, the best is yet to come. The trials that we go through here on this earth, the sorrows that we go through in our life, they pale in comparison to the glory that we will see one of these days when we get to heaven. When that roll is called up yonder and we get to be in his presence and experience him in all of his glory, we know that this is what we have been waiting on. But for now, we can rely on the fact of knowing that the best is yet to come. How do I get a deeper faith? How do I draw closer to the Lord? Let me just say that out of all the people in this passage that we read, in this account of the the wedding at Cana of Galilee, there were none closer to the Lord Jesus Christ than Mary. And so I think that's where her words were culminated from. I think that's what uh, where her words derived from is from her experiences in living a life and seeing Jesus grow up and knowing what he was capable of doing. Her faith in him and his ability was deeper than anyone else at that event. But Jesus performed this miracle for his disciples and his followers and for the readers of God's word today to have a deeper faith than ever before. There's four specific things that I want to point out that will help you have a deeper faith, especially when you look at an account like this. When you look at a story like this, you really don't understand the concept of it. What is the meaning of it? Why is this recorded in the Word of God? You can have a deeper faith when you find out the true meaning. First of all, in verse 4, we see Mary approach Jesus with this problem. And she hears the voice of her son speak something to her. And out of everyone in that crowd, that celebration, I'm sure there was music, there were conversations, there was singing, there was all kind of noise. But she was able to discern the voice of Jesus during this situation. So for you to have a deeper faith, number one, you need to discern the voice of Jesus in your life. Discerning the voice of Jesus evolves from a deeper faith. uh, Mary comes to Jesus. She says, we have a problem. We have a situation. I don't know who orchestrated this event. I don't know who made the orders. I don't know who prepared everything. But one of the main elements of this celebration we are now out of. They have no wine. 
And when you first look at verse 4 and the way Jesus responds to her, it seems somewhat rude and disrespectful. But the one thing that we can't get out of the written word of God is the tone of the voice of someone that is speaking. And I would have to think that Jesus' tone was kind and quiet and respectful. Actually, when he responds, woman, it was not a sign of disrespect, but in that time and culture, it was a sign of respect. I don't think that Jesus, knowing that one of the Ten Commandments says to honor your father and mother, would speak to his mother in a disrespectful way. But she was able to hear his voice and she understood exactly what he meant when he said this. The one person that knew Jesus better than anyone else at this celebration heard this statement of his and she understood the nature of his comment. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. In other words, he's saying, don't worry. I got this. You know what I'm capable of doing. You know that I want to help. You know that I want to be involved in other people's lives. But you know me. You've lived with me for 30 years. And he says, what does your concern have to do with me? He said, this isn't my problem, but I'm willing to help out with it. Hearing the voice of God. How do we hear the voice of God? How do we discern the voice of Jesus. It all comes with spending time with him day in and day out. If he's a stranger to you, you're not going to recognize his voice. If he's a stranger to you, it's not going to be a familiar sound. When he speaks, you're not going to recognize the voice. But if you're one that spends day in and day out with the Lord Jesus Christ, studying his word, praying, meditating, thinking about what God's word says and the commands that he gives, you're going to recognize his voice right away. Jesus was probably about 30 years old during the time of this event. Mary had been with him each and every day of his life. She raised him. She taught him. She sang with him. She prayed with him. She studied God's word with him together. She spent time, and when his voice said these words, she recognized it instantly. Mary had been with Jesus for at least 30 years, and she was very, very familiar, not only with the sound of his voice, but also his purpose for being on this earth and his ability. Can you just imagine? We don't have very much in the recorded word of God about Jesus' early years, his adolescent years, his early adult life. But can you just imagine some of the things that Mary got to see? While Jesus was growing up as a little boy, his wisdom, his discernment of the word of God, maybe some of the other miracles that he performed out of the public realm, maybe in the household. So her response came from a deep sense of trust and faith that Jesus not only could do something, but that he would do something to help. In the tone of Jesus' reply, Mary implied this, don't worry, I got this situation. I want to do something and I will do something and I can do something about this. So how easily can you discern the voice of God over the noise of the crowd and the culture? The life that you live today, can you easily detect God's voice when he's speaking to you? Does God speak to you? 
And when he does, are you able to hear and understand the nature of his message? What message did you get from this passage? And do you understand the reason why this miracle is recorded in God's word? So is your faith, let me ask you this question, is your faith built on the concept that God wants to be involved in every area of your life? You may not be like Mary. Mary came with this one problem that we have no wine for the guests. But when you have a problem, no matter how big or small, where is the first place that you go to? Do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I can't do anything about this, but I know that you can. I've experienced it before in my life. I've seen it time and time and time again in my house, in my home, my family. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, that you are able to do something. Or when God speaks to you, you say, I, I know that that is the voice of the Lord because he's spoken to me before. Do you trust in the provisions of God the way that Mary is trusting here at this celebration. That leads me to point number two. To have a deeper faith, it's all built upon trust. Trusting in God's provisions is always evidence of a deeper faith. Do you ever see someone who, man, they're, they're, they're anxious, they're worried. They've got a problem they don't know what to do with. But then you look at another person, and man, they're, they're calm, they're relaxed. Their life is built on the concept of knowing my life is in the hands of God. My life is firmly in his grasp. I have trusted in him with my faith, with my hope, and with my life. And I have nothing to worry. I have nothing to fear. I'm at peace with everything that's going on in my life because I know that if I have a problem, I can trust in him to meet my needs. Mary knew. Mary knew that her comment was going to spark a response from the Lord. And the only reason she came to him because she was the only one that she trusted in to do something about this situation. Maybe he had done it before in a home setting. Maybe she had watched him perform miracles that nobody else got to see. But Mary's comment here reveals several specific things. First of all, she was confident in Jesus' ability. Second of all, she trusted him with the situation. Third, she had experienced God's provisions throughout her life. Fourth, she was not worried as long as Jesus was in control. Number five, she wanted others to experience his power as well. You see, faith ends where worry begins. And worry ends where faith begins. Are you worried about a situation right now? Have you put all of your faith in Jesus to take care of that situation? Do you have a need right now that you, seem, uh, that you feel like it's not going to come from anywhere else? You have no hope for the situation have you taken it to the Lord and said, God, I can't do anything about this, but I know that you can. Or are you still worried about it? See, where worry begins, that's where your faith ends at. But where faith begins, that's where you say, I'm not worried about this situation at all. Is there an area of your life that you haven't completely trusted 
the Lord with? Is it forgiveness? Is it anger? Is it envy? Is there something going on in your life that causes a separation between you and the Lord that you have not yet turned over to the Lord? Any type of situation at all. Why not start today? Look at Mary's request. So simple. She didn't have to give any details about it. She came to Jesus. She says, look, they have no wine. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? I, I know that you can do something about it. God, I, I don't have any income coming in next week. What, what are you going to do about it? I, I'm trusting in you to provide where nobody else can. God, I, I've got something going on inside of my body. I've got a sickness. I've got an illness that the doctors can't find an answer for. God, what are you going to do about it? What is your request today? What is the one thing in your life that you're worried about that you have not yet trusted the Lord with? What if they would have just said, you know what? We're out of wine. End the party. It's all over with. It's a disaster. Somebody failed in their preparation. But Mary said, I know who to go to. Mary said, I can't do anything about this problem. Six water pots, 20 to 30 gallons apiece, hundreds of gallons that they're trying to find in an instant to keep this celebration going. Mary said, I can't do anything about this. Neither can any of you disciples do anything about this, but I know a man who can. And that's where we need to be with our situations in our life. That's where we need to be with our trust is when we say this situation goes beyond human ability. I need something supernatural to happen in my life. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. You may not understand it. You may not comprehend it. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but during this passage, whenever Jesus confronted Mary and said, I got this, you notice he didn't touch anything, he didn't do anything, but he made a simple request. All he did was give instructions and the response of the people is how this miracle evolved. But I love Mary's response here. Point number three, if you want a deeper faith in the Lord, you need to obey the commands of the Lord. Mary said, "Uh uh-uh, don't listen to me. This is Jesus we're dealing with. And you know, all of this worship about Mary, I'm, I'm not real sure where your stance is on this. But if you want to know what the gospel according to Mary is, here it is. Whatever Jesus says, do it. It's as simple as that. How do I become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, whatever he says, you do it. Don't take my word. Don't do something just because I say. I'm not going to get you anywhere. I'm going to fail you every time. But listen to what Mary says. Whatever Jesus says, you do it. I, I don't know what God is speaking to you about today. I don't know what's going on in your life. 
He may be knocking on your heart right now. He's saying, I want you to do something. I want you to go somewhere. I want you to go see your neighbor. I want you to go tell your loved one. But listen to what Mary says. She says, whatever he says, that's what you do. She didn't start giving directions. She was involved in the provisions and the orchestration of this celebration. And she could have started scrambling. She said, look, we, we need to go to the store. We need to go to Walmart. Here, run around to the, uh, to the market corner, corner market. Let's, let's buy what we can. She said, uh-uh. This goes beyond human ability. She says, we have a problem here. And we need to obey what Jesus says. The whole concept of discipleship is based upon that. Whatever I find in God's word, when I discern his voice and he speaks to me, whatever he tells to me, that's what I need to do. It might not make sense to me. It might not make sense to anyone else. But I know in my heart that this is what the Lord has told me to do. And now I have only one option, and that's to obey what he's telling me to do. Whatever he says, you do it. And if you'll notice some of these other miracles that we've looked at, Jesus didn't put a hand on it. He didn't get involved in the the provisions. He didn't get involved in the actions. He included other people to perform these miracles. The disciples, when Jesus fed the multitude, what did he do? He blessed the bread, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and he let the disciples distribute the bread and the fish. And through their obedience, whatever Jesus told them to do, that's what they did. And through their obedience, 5,000 people, plus women and children. Last week, Jesus didn't go out and catch all of those fish for Peter. He didn't park the boat in just the right place. He spoke to Peter. He said, Peter, let down your nets. Cast out into the deep just a little bit further and let down your nets. And whatever Jesus said, that's what Peter did. And the result was a miraculous catch. When Jesus came out on the water on the Sea of Galilee, walking at night during the middle of a storm, Jesus didn't go and pick up Peter and get him out of the boat. And make sure he was walking in the right place on the water and help him to walk on the water. He said, Peter, get out of the boat and come here. And whatever Jesus said, that's what Peter did. Until he took his eyes off the Lord, he began to sink. But as long as he was obedient to what the Lord said to do, he was able to do it. The blind man that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Jesus didn't touch his, his eyes and all of a sudden he was healed. He spit on the ground. He rolled up a little ball of, of clay and mud and wiped it on the guy's eyes. And then he gave him this command. What did he say to do? He said, now you go and you wash in the pool of Siloam. And whenever the man did what Jesus commanded him to do, that's when he received his sight. What is God asking you to do right now? Is he asking you to step out in faith in some area of your life? Whatever Jesus says for you to do, that's what you need to do. It may be something that someone has asked you to do. You've been thinking about it. 
It may be something God himself, you've heard his voice. You know he's commanding you to do something. Get out and do it. Don't hesitate. Don't think twice about it. Be obedient to what God is asking you to do. Jesus typically wants to see us make the first move of obedience. And then he say, all right, I'm getting what I want out of it. I see an obedient heart. I see a willing heart. I see a heart that I can do something with. You're trusting in me now. And through your obedience, you've given me the evidence that you want to follow me and have a deeper faith. When he sees that we are obediently responding to his directives, he then knows that our faith is genuine. Our trust is at the level that it should be. And we are willing to obey him no matter how simple or how complex the task may seem. Notice that there's nothing overly complicated about what Jesus asked him to do. Hey, you got a problem? You're out of wine for the celebration? You got six empty pots? Well, fill them up with water. Then scoop some out and bring it to the master of the house. Nothing complicated about that. Your testimony, your testimony as a Christian, your walk of faith, the way that you reveal to others that you are truly a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ all begins with a step of obedience. And that is the evidence that you are a genuine, true follower that is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ in every way, shape, and form. But if you say, I'm a Christian... And you don't do anything about that faith or that belief, there's no evidence there. But when you say, hey, God has asked me to feed the hungry, and you go feed the hungry, that's obedience. When God is calling you to go around the world and minister to a group of people, and you begin preparing yourself, learning their language, seeing how to get there, what else you need to know about their culture, you're showing evidence that you're trusting in the Lord, and you're obedient, you're being obedient in what he's asking you to do. Faith resulting in obedience is alive, it's active, it's moving, it's responding, and it's accomplishing great things for God's kingdoms. Whereas what we studied in Sunday school just this morning, James chapter 2, faith without works or without action is dead. It's useless. It's not alive. It's inactive. James puts it like this, faith without works is dead. It's inactive, it's stale, and it's accomplishing nothing. But when you're obedient to the Lord, your faith is deeper, it's alive, and it's accomplishing great things for the Lord. Look at what he says. Mary says, whatever he says, do it. There were the water pots, they were empty. And Jesus says to them, fill the water pots with water nothing complicated all of a sudden they start acting they fill them up to the brim and then he took it when the master the um, he said uh, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast and when he took it the master said look (laughs) this is the best we've got the best right here and it all was the result of the obedience of the servants When they heard the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that obedience. 
through Mary discerning the voice of God, through Mary and the servants and the disciples trusting in Jesus' commands, through their obedience, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed. Everyone there got to experience the best that Jesus had to offer. You want a deeper faith? Those are some things that you need to do, but a deeper faith is going to be revealed like this. You're going to get to experience the revealed glory of Jesus. That is the overall result of a deeper faith. Point number four. Experiencing the revealed glory of Jesus is the overall result of a deeper faith. So John records this sign as the beginning of signs. This is actually the first of seven major signs. John calls the miracles signs. And this is the first of seven specific signs recorded in the Gospel of John. John expressly states that the reason for this first sign or this miracle was performed for the reason revealing Jesus' glory. Look in verse 11. He says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Not only did Mary get to see his glory through this miracle, Not only did his disciples, but everyone at the feast, everyone at this celebration got to experience the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through this miracle that John records. And so when you experience the manifested presence of Jesus Christ, your life will never be the same. When you discern the voice of God, when you hear God's voice talking to you, when you trust in his commands, when you obey his commands, you'll experience the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ like no other time in your life. Through this experience, his disciples gained a deeper level of belief. In faith, Jesus had already called out some of his disciples up until this point. This was the first miracle that they got to experience. And look at what John says in the latter part of verse 11. And his disciples believed in him. Oh, this was the beginning of so many things that his disciples would get to see. And what's recorded in the Word of God barely scratches the surface of what they got to see. We just get a little snapshot of what Jesus' disciples got to see. Turn to the back of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And this is how John closes his Gospel out. Chapter 2 is only the beginning of the experiences like this. Here's what John says about it. Chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
We just get a little snapshot of all that Jesus accomplished while he was here on this earth. It would be mind-blowing to experience what John and the other disciples got to see. What, what, what can you imagine that Jesus would have done that we haven't? I mean, we've got enough right here that, man, this is, this is so much evidence and so much proof. This should deepen our faith like nothing else does. But just to see some of those things that the disciples experienced, wow. How awesome would that be? But Jesus performed this first miracle to convince his disciples, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm worthy of honor and glory and praise. Brothers and sisters, if you've experienced God working in your life, let me tell you this. The best is yet to come. It all starts with him touching our life and saying, I want to give you the free gift of salvation. I have laid down my life. I've given the ultimate sacrifice to perform the greatest miracle of all in the heart of a human being. It's to wash them clean of all of their sins. To forgive them of all of their sins and iniquities and give them eternal life. And I, I want to give them just a little taste of heaven while they're here on this earth. I want to bless their lives and I want to do their great things in their life. I want them to experience a deeper faith. I want them to learn how to discern my voice and hear my voice. I want them to learn how to trust in me in providing them with all of their needs in their life. And I want to help them obey the things that I command them to do. But it all starts with a small step in faith saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I believe that you are my only hope for eternal life. And I believe that it was through your death, burial, and resurrection, the greatest miracle of all, that I can have this eternal life. And I can experience your glory. And one of these days, be forevermore in your presence and experience your glory like never before. If you've experienced that, You've experienced the greatest miracle of all. It pales in comparison to any of these other miracles. Yes, I believe he did heal the blind. I do believe that he made the lame to walk again. I believe that he walked on the water. But I think the greatest miracle that any of us can ever experience is seeing the life of a person transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. When he can take someone who is in a hopeless situation, who has no hope at all in this world, and he says, you know what, I want to give you something to hope for. I want you to follow me. I want you to trust in me. And I want you to understand that the best is yet to come. I love the statement that is made by the master of the ceremonies. This is the guy who dropped the ball. This is the guy who should have been in control of everything. And this is the guy who was the reason that they ran out of 
wine at this celebration. And Jesus was told the service, I want him to be the first one to taste that the best is yet to come. And I love his response. He says, look, you've kept the good stuff until now. We have so many blessings to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful for. On this Memorial Day weekend, we have so much to be thankful for, for those who have given their lives for our freedom. But we have so much to be thankful for, for the free gift of eternal life that the Lord Jesus Christ has to offer us. That one life that was sacrificed to free the souls of mankind and give them eternity to hope for. That's the biggest blessing that we have as Christians. And that's the biggest blessing that we have to be thankful for. And if you're a blood-bought, born-again believer, let me tell you, the best is yet to come. What we experience here week in and week out, a celebration and worship, fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters, getting to have that relationship and that time with the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth, it pales in comparison to what we're going to experience for all eternity one of these days. When, when that roll is called up yonder, will heaven be your home? If you died today, where would you spend eternity at? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Has he performed that miracle in your life and forgiven you of all of your sins and washed away all of your unrighteousness and made you a new creation by putting your faith, hope, and trust in him? If not, you can begin that relationship today. Are you going through your life right now? Are you worried about what's going to happen to you when you pass away, when you leave this earth? You could be at peace with that right now. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And if you've never stepped out in faith and trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let today be the most memorial day of your life by saying, I know that I'm a child of God. I know that my sins have been forgiven. I know that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. And above all, I know where I'll spend eternity at when this life is over. If that's something you want to know for sure, I'll be here at the front to help you begin that relationship. I'd love to pray with you. Whatever need and concern that you have, trust in him today. Because the best is yet to come. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, Lord God. We thank you for this recorded event that we have in your word. Lord, I know that there are many people that will misinterpret this passage. They will use it to defend something that they want to do. Lord, we know that this passage has been given to us to reveal you in all of your glory so that others may experience your presence in their life, so that our faith would be deeper than ever before, so that we can see how you are involved in the everyday details of our lives. And my hope and my prayer, Lord God, is that there's anyone here 
that's living their life with no hope and no faith in you, I pray that today would be that day that for the first time they would trust in you with their lives. And we just ask it all in the most precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.